Welcome to the TCO Method, the only show focused on helping you massively increase your net operating income. I am Andy McQuaid, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Tuesday episode of the TCO Method. Today, I'm going to continue the conversation from Thursday of last week about who, I, who is on your team and why you need to rely on people other than yourself in your day-to-day business. There's a few reasons. Number one, there's never enough time in a day to get done what you want to get done when you want it done. And that's not to say that other people are going to focus on your business as a priority above their own, but there is a certain amount of responsibility given to them via contract, legal binding agreements, and your relationship with them, right? Also, in addition to the skill sets that they probably are bringing to the table, there's the reality that nine times out of 10, bringing in a 1099 sub from outside your organization to help fill a gap in skills, capabilities, bandwidth, whatever it may be, is cheaper in most cases than hiring a W-2. Well, why is that? Well, for one, 1099 private employees are stuck with getting their licenses, their insurance, their overhead, their operating expenses, right? Depending on what they're doing. They're responsible for making sure that their income taxes are being paid appropriately and it's higher than what you would pay as a as a W-2 employer, right? You hire somebody, you're paying 7% of their social security instead of the whole 14. So there's a few different chunks that go into hiring a 1099 that you're not on the hook for anymore, right? Because you have to pay all their benefits, insurance, unemployment, payroll, all that stuff. So by the time you have a $20 an hour employee, they're probably costing you closer to $35 or $40 an hour by the time you bring in all the overhead and operating expenses that go into keeping them in whatever they are doing, right? You could be super lean and mean, no space provided to work in, no equipment, no hardware, no cell phone, no mileage, whatever, and you're still paying 14% of their social security or 7% of their social security and all of their payroll, unemployment insurance, liability insurance, workers' comp, long-term disability, maybe short-term disability. Like there's a bunch of pieces to the pie that go into hiring a W-2 versus bringing in somebody from outside. The other thing is that you don't need to keep them employed and paid every single week with work. Like a good 1099 agreement is going to be you bill me either a flat fee for everything you do for me for X period of time, right? Like a package service service package, like how framers bill by the square foot when they're building a house. I have a 2,000 square foot house. I'm going to charge you $17 a square foot and I'm going to frame the entire thing for you, right? That's sort of how that would work. And then if it takes them two months or takes them six months, obviously you don't want it to take six months, but you're not going to pay anymore for that extra time. Like they're incentivized to do the work quickly and well so they can get out and charge another guy $17 a square foot and get the job done. So likewise, you should be looking at making sure that your relationship with a 1099 is similar to that, where 
you're not guaranteeing them hours, you're not guaranteeing them pay every single week of the year because then you might as well just hire a W-2 internal, okay? Anyway, we talked about lawyers, we talked about CPAs. Who else should be on your team when you're in real estate? There's a lot of people, real estate brokers, real estate agents, depending on whether you're doing commercial or residential. Both of them need to be working in real estate for money, real estate for investing full time. Doesn't matter what you're looking for. If your agent is a part-timer or selling, you know, residences 90% of the time to Joe homeowner, they're probably not the agent to use for finding real estate deals that you want to invest in. Okay. Same thing with wholesalers. Wholesalers are going to do contract assignment or whatever state they're in, and they're going to look for a way to purchase a property extremely inexpensively for whatever reason and pass it on to you. They're not actually purchasing the property. What they're doing is they're locking a contract in at a purchase price with the seller. And then they're selling that contract for a fee, a markup to an investor, a buyer. Okay, so the wholesaler finds a house for 30 grand. They get a purchase offer signed for that 30 grand. They put in an earnest money to deposit for a few thousand dollars. And then they turn around and they charge seven to $15,000 to sell that property to an investor who wants to pay that because they can see that there's still meat on the bone and they can still do that deal. And they wouldn't have had that deal if it wasn't for the wholesaler doing the work to find it. So they're getting paid for their part of the, of the transaction, the time they spent hunting it down and getting that contract to lock down and the investors getting a home for still cheaper than they would have bought on the open market that they can then rehab, fix up, flip or rent in whatever form, Airbnb, rentals, etc. So there's guys out there and gals that do it on the commercial side as well, where they go out and they bird dog and they look for, you know, distressed properties in need of some TLC that would be a great value add, but that maybe aren't having any luck being sold at market rate because market rate is too damn high. So good relationships to have with people who are going to bring you homes to buy or help you sell homes. So you want to have relationships with, you know, multiple brokers, multiple agents who specialize in whatever you're looking for. Again, bringing somebody in who's not working at full time, whose focus has always been residential to Joe, you know, Joe homeowner is not the right person. I know it's heartbreaking to hear that your cousin Ted, who does real estate part-time on the weekends, who became a real estate agent because he wanted easy money during the pandemic when housing was going through the roof and demand was insane because he just wanted a quick paycheck, isn't qualified to actually do investment real estate. Completely heartbreaking, I'm sure, but this is your business and your livelihood. You will not will not be successful relying on people who part-time it. Who else do you need on your team? Well, if you're going to self-manage, I guess you don't need a property manager, but it may not have, or it may not hurt to have a relationship 
with an experienced property manager to walk you through what's going on. And it's the same for whatever scope it is, right? Again, part-time property managers, cousin Joe that lives, you know, down, down in East Jesus, wherever, wherever they happen to be, who manages two or three properties of his own, may not be the guy to manage an apartment complex for you. Maybe they are. I don't know. But anyway, it's okay to ask questions. To have people on your team that understand what it is you want to do. And by on your team, I mean looking out for your best interests because you either have a relationship with them personally or you have a relationship with them financially that be, makes them beholden to you to watch out for your best interests. So if you hire a property manager to mentor you on the fine art of property management for whatever class of property it is, then you should utilize that relationship to make sure you're not screwing anything up. You should probably have a coach or a mentor. If you're bad at business stuff and business operations, you should probably have an operational mentor or coach. If you're looking for a mentor to bring you into the real estate industry at any level, it should be somebody who's already done what you want to do and done it successfully. The guy on the internet selling his mentoring services or selling his mastermind but that can't point to a strong track record of success in down markets and in up markets, right? Because we've had 10 years of free money propping up terrible business models that don't have a prayer of operating in a down economy. Well, that's where we're heading, folks. So you better make sure that your mentor is prepared to walk you through that. You should not be hiring a coach or a mentor who just got out of college and got a certification in coaching or mentoring from some online school, or better yet, a coach or a mentor who created their own certifications, which is happening right now. And that's like 25 or 26 years old. That gives them somewhere between three and six years of actual work experience, actual real life, real world experience. Don't allow somebody to coach you or mentor you who isn't where you want to be. Don't believe the stuff on Instagram. Don't believe the stuff on Facebook. Big cars, big houses, flashy watches, whatever it may be. Probably 70 to 80% of the time it's crap. And it's all for show. Especially when they're like 26 years old. They just don't have enough experience. They haven't been through enough stuff to be an effective coach. Doesn't matter if it's life coaching. Doesn't matter if it's business coaching. Doesn't matter if they have an MBA. You're going to learn again. You're going to learn more from doing than you do from any type of class, training, seminar, session, book, etc. When you hire a coach or a mentor who has done one or two things or been doing it for a year or two, the actual act of what you want to get into and do successfully. They've been doing it for a couple of years, right? They get into real estate, they flip a couple houses, and all of a sudden they're coaching how to flip houses, just like the guys on HGTV. Well, that's great and all, 
except for they've done two deals, probably in the hottest real estate market that we've seen in 40 years between 2020 and 2022. And now they're going to coach after two deals or mentor after two deals and charge you an arm and a leg. But they haven't actually done the experience part for 10 or 15 years. They haven't, they don't have the level of experience necessary to do that well. It's like putting a redshirt freshman in college football in as your NFL offensive line coach. What do you think that redshirt college player is going to bring to the table for your NFL team? They don't have the experience. They don't have the track record. They know the fundamentals. They know the technical stuff, right? They've had a few good games. But are you going to trust them with the success of your multi-multi-million dollar team? No. Why would you do that to your business where you want to be successful? Why would you put a redshirt freshman on as your offensive line coach, defensive line coach, anything? You wouldn't. Come back in 10 years when you've got a little bit more experience, kid. Thanks anyway. Another pet peeve of mine, in case you couldn't tell. There's a lot of people out there with made-up certifications, certifications they bought online, classes they took from nobodies that don't really exist. Or if they do exist, they've existed for a little, a little while. And by a little while, I mean like five years, maybe. Like, okay, cool, you've got a certification. Who created it? What qualifies them to make a certification? Right? Oh, look, you, you did this test. Is there continuous learning that's required afterwards to maintain that certification? How much money did you have to spend to get it? Where did you have to go? Who did you have to meet? Or did you just sign up for something online and take a test for 20 minutes and crank out a, a bunch of letters after your name? Same thing with MBAs. Having an MBA does not qualify you to actually do anything related to business in business well. MBA programs haven't changed since I was in elementary school. Like they cover new topics, they integrate some stuff about technology and whatever, but the concepts as far as strategy, management, leadership, organizational planning, all the stuff that goes into an MBA is the same as it always was. The difference between a strong operator and a terrible operator generally comes down to other team members who are on that team and the experience level of the person with those letters behind their name. Not saying it's a complete waste of money, but what I am saying is the 45-year-old that's worked in an industry for 20 or 25 years that goes back to school and gets an MBA at 35 or 40, or the 20-year-old who goes to school, graduates at 21 or 22, gets another two years in, gets their MBA at 24, that 24-year-old MBA is not qualified to do the work or make the money of the 45-year-old MBA. Because again, book learning does not replace actual experience. So when that MBA becomes 45, they should be able to demand the same amount of money and have a comparable result to the 45-year-old MBA. But the three letters after your name in that case, 
are pretty much meaningless. Because it doesn't really matter when they got the MBA, because it hasn't changed. What matters is people who are continuously looking to improve themselves. So when you're looking for mentors, when you're looking for coaches, when you're doing it for yourself, when you're leading a business, you need to be looking at who is helping me become better at what I do. Am I trying to become better? Like I have all these books over here, right? Tons of books. If you're looking on YouTube, I have a wall of business books, a whole shelf of consulting books, a whole shelf of, of strategy and, and just whatever, right? There's a, there's a ton of stuff there on the shelf. I read a lot of books, okay? So it is what it is. But none of those books, outside of the ideas are inside, give me experience. They give me knowledge. They give me the ability to plan. They give me the, the ability to break things down on a fundamental level, right? They, they teach me things, just like the certifications I have. I have four certifications. I have four sets of letters after my name if I want to use it. Do I use it? No. My certifications come from real organizations made up of real people in the industry who've been doing it for decades. So I made sure that my certifications weren't just fluff on paper, right? You get a certification from the National Apartment Association, National Association of Home Builders, IREM. You're, you're pretty good to go in the real estate industry because these are people who've been doing it for years, created the courses, created the content, create continuous learning, and they keep adapting and evolving over time, okay? It will help you in the industry not just because you will go to those things and you will have relationships and you will build your network and you will learn stuff and learn practical examples of how things are done and you'll be able to take that knowledge and apply it to your business where a redshirt freshman trying to certify something that they created a, a week ago on a website to sell a course is not going to help you 99.5% of the time. Unless you are so completely inexperienced that you should probably still be in high school. Anyway. The other thing that you need to look for when you're bringing in a mentor is other people they've mentored or other places that they have received mentoring right? Everybody, everybody should have a coach or a mentor, depending on what they want to do. Coaches train skills. Mentors lend experience and help you avoid and get through issues that you're experiencing. Okay? They're different. They serve different purposes. Just like when you hire somebody to come in and do, I don't know, outsourced procurement or project management, like I do, you want them to accomplish a specific task or do a specific function, right? If I come in and I do an, an analysis of a property, I, my goal is to look at it and turn around a list of things that I think need to be a, a, you know, adjusted, adapted, changed, installed, implemented, whatever, to make the op operation run better. Likewise, a coach should be coming in and saying, well, this is what I see. And this is what I think you should do to change it. A mentor comes in and says, okay, tell me what you're doing and why you want to do it. Okay, well, I can help you do that. And they come in and they walk you through the process. They may JV in a deal. They may go in as a limited partner, general partner. Hard to say how they want to play it, but they'll want to be involved in some way, most likely. And you need to encourage that because they're going to be watching out for themselves and, and your organization, your business, your operation, your investment. 
and hopefully they're not just looking to get a paycheck. A lot of mentors, most good mentors, will do it for free. The actual mentoring. But they'll want something in exchange. Your time. Your effort. Something you're good at that you can trade. Maybe they want to go in and JV on the deal with you. Right? There's hard money lenders out there who won't lend to new investors unless they're partnering, either as a, as a general partner or, or, or a JV deal, on whatever investment property it is, because they want a track record of success. They're not going to give the redshirt freshmen $100,000 to do whatever they want with and hope they do it right and they don't screw up because they don't run into any roadblocks. Again, having a team looking out for your best interests that's experienced is going to help you. Almost every investor who goes and does it on their own and gets FOMO and gets excited and just wants to do a deal, ends up upside down. Because they're just, they're not asking the right questions, and they're not looking in the right places for information. They don't have the relationships that they should have. And it costs them. Sometimes tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, don't be the person who jumps the gun and tries to learn everything and go it alone. As a business owner, as a business operator, you need to understand what your numbers are and what you should be looking at to gauge success in every part of your business. That does not mean you need to be an expert on the execution part of that business. You just need to be able to trust and verify. You should be bringing people in to manage tasks and manage functions that you are not comfortable with or that you think you will get a better result from bringing somebody else into the fold. That is universal. And teams, when you're hiring W-2s, work in a very similar fashion. With the exception of a standard regular paycheck and the fact that you're paying most of their bills. But the overall focus of going into team building needs to be, like I said last week, filling all of the gaps in your skill set to run a successful operation. So we've talked about real estate brokers, agents, attorneys, CPAs, other service providers, property management. You need to find people who will cover your butt. You need to learn the top end at 10,000 feet of how your business should run, what numbers should look like, how to set budgets, how to plan, how to organize, how to run projects, get some project management software, get some accounting software, get some people who know how to do those things if you're not going to do it, and learn the business. Figure out what you're good at and what you're not. Hire people who fill in the the, the low spots in your skill set so you can operate effectively and efficiently and make money. Hire trustworthy people that are going to watch your back. They're going to make sure that you're making money so that they can make money. Who aren't going to steal from you. Who aren't going to disappear when things get tough and stop answering their phone. Right? And in this economy, it is tough to find people for any industry 
who won't just disappear at the drop of a hat because you hurt their feelings or because they decided that going to work was too hard this morning and they really just needed to sleep in. And you're stuck putting up with those people because you can't find somebody to replace them. So you need to be networking and finding people who can fill those gaps so that you're not stuck with somebody who will drop you to go work at McDonald's or Walmart or Target or Home Depot at the drop of a hat because the money's the same and it's less demanding or the money's the same but the hours are better or the money's worse but I just don't care and just need a paycheck to pay a bill every once in a while because I'm living in mom's basement. Whatever it may be, right? How does that impact your total cost of ownership of your property? Well, if you've ever looked at a P&L for a property of any kind that's operating as a business, there are expenses that come from payroll, operations, overhead, that depending on your structure and how you quantify those numbers and how you look at those numbers, drastically change your net operating income. Put the wrong people on your team and you're going to make mess less money. Do everything yourself. You might make more money. Maybe. But what is your time worth? So now we're going back to the one of the podcast episodes from a few weeks ago about how much you're willing to pay yourself. What, what is the time you spend with your family, with your friends, with your hobbies worth to you? You build a team so you don't have to do everything yourself. You build a team so you can increase your quality of life. What good is doing everything yourself to make more money if you don't have anything you enjoy to spend that money on? Anyway. Your team will make or break you in most industries. In real estate especially, because the relationships you have and how you are seen in the market and what you're known for determine what people bring you. I just brought somebody an opportunity to buy a 240-unit apartment complex on Sunday afternoon that somebody reached out to me with on an off-market deal because they knew I was in Rochester and had a lot of connections. I had just met the guy on, an, on Clubhouse in a real estate room. And he's like, oh, you're in Rochester? I got something for you. Okay, let's go. New relationship, brand new, brand new connection. Bam. Brought it to somebody I knew could, could scrape up the money to buy an apartment complex. And they started talking on Sunday. And we're still looking at it. There's due diligence going on and other stuff. And if, and if the person I brought it to falls through, I'll bring it to somebody else because I got a couple more I can call. But I had a guy who I knew was looking because I talked to him all the time. And there it is. So... Anyway, who you know, in a lot of cases, is as important as what you know. Because those people are on your team too, or at least they should be, and you should be on their team. Right? Even if there's no money changing hands, there's a relationship, especially in real estate. So make sure that you're doing what you need to do to build that business and make the money. Make the relationships work. 
do what you need to do what you need to do, go where you need to go, see what you need to see. Go to one real estate networking event a week. In person, preferred over remote via Zoom or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Do Clubhouse, do Twitter spaces, do retweet, get on social media and do, you know, Twitter and LinkedIn interactions with other real estate investors around the country. Like there's not a lot of, I would say probably 90% of real estate investors are not active on LinkedIn. I would say probably 70% are not active on Twitter at all because they're working, they're busy, they don't have time. But there are some who are out there who have some really good stuff that have other really good connections to people who are not on the market. And you just need to focus on building those relationships out so you can, you know, become part of their team, become part of the, that, that circle that gets the phone call when an apartment complex hits that's up for sale that they need to move. Or when a, a house hits that a wholesaler has in their back pocket. Or when a investment property, regardless of what it is, shows up but hasn't hit the MLS yet. You get the phone call to say, hey, I've got this. Do you want to cut everybody out of it and just close the deal? Here's the information. There's a lot of business that happens without ever touching the MLS in real estate, in case you didn't know. I've seen a number of different reports that up to 40 to 45% of investment properties never even see the MLS. That is a lot of real estate changing hands without going to the National Association of Realtors. So anyway, that's all I got for today. We're going to keep it short because this is a part two episode. Please if you're listening and you're enjoying the content, review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Leave a two, three, four, five star. Leave a comment. Leave a comment on the episode. Leave a star rating on the episode if the app supports it. Share it with your friends. Subscribe on YouTube if you're into watching my ugly mug that's really the face made for radio. Uh, but I appreciate your time. I will see you all or talk to you all on Thursday. Thank you so much. Bye.